remind you that we are in a sermon series. Actually, if this is your first time here, we are closing out a series today. So you picked the perfect one to come to because uh, I always try to save the important ones for last. Uh, the series is called You in Five Years. And uh, what we've been doing is trying to use our, our imaginations to, to imagine what our life would look like five years from now. Um, and, and really not asking the question, what will it look like, but what, what could it look like, what should it look like if God would really get a hold of our lives. And we've taken a different piece of our life each week, and we've been looking at it and trying to imagine what that piece of our life could look like five years from now. Uh, and we're closing it out today. You in five years. So, have you ever uh, thought of the difference between being busy and being successful. Being busy and being successful. Now, I'm, I'm guessing you probably know the difference. Like if, if you, somebody gave you a test and it was on the test, like you'd get the right answer right. Like you know the answer to that question, right? What the difference between busy and successful is. But even though you like know it, I think a lot of times in life, we get so caught up in living that we mix the two up. And it's a little bit, a little bit of it's the culture we live in because we live in a culture where busyness is so celebrated that just being busy is somehow equated with success. But it's easy, I think, in the, in the, in the fog of life to get these mixed up. Because we say, you know, oh, I'm so busy, right? I'm so busy. Like it's a badge of honor. I'm so busy. I'm so busy, I, I, have, you know, I checked all the boxes though, I did all the things, all the boxes, check, 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 I did it, I did the things, I ran the places, I'm busy, busy, busy. And then when you lay your head down at night, you have this, this thought process that's like, I did it, I did the stuff, I checked the boxes, I got, I got through it. And like, you, whether you mean to or not, you have this sense in which that if you did all the things on your busy list, that you were a success because all the boxes are checked. So again, it's kind of accidental that you're, you're equating busyness with success, but you say this crazy line, I got through it. I got through it. Like that's a victory sentence. I got through it. But like, can we just acknowledge that that is a wild thing to say about a day of your life? Like not a, not a positive thing. And I, so disclaimer, uh, some days... I would say it is success to just get through, right? You, I'm sure you've all had days where it's like, I am just happy that I got through it. But can we acknowledge that's a crazy, like not a positive thing to say about most of the days of your life. I got through it, I got through it, I got through it. Like, okay, to what? You know, there's another one, right? After the first year, I just got through this one. Well, there's another, well, you got through that one. And then you got through that one. And then you got through that one. If you spend your whole life just saying, I got through it about all of these days, the crazy thing is you're going to get to a day that you're not going to get through. And I feel like on that day, you're going to look back on all the other days that you said that about, and you're going to want them back because I don't think you want to live your life with the attitude of, I got through it, with that being considered success. You don't want that. You don't want that. Imagine somebody standing up at your funeral and like, well, you know, Bill, he, he got through it. You know, <laughs> good, good job. I don't, I don't think that's what you want. And that's what busyness does to us. I got through it. I did all the stuff. I checked all the boxes. When? But they're not the same thing. Success and busyness are not the same thing. 
And I think we can acknowledge together that success, like you can be busy and not be successful. And I think that's an uncomfortable thought because I know I don't want to admit, and maybe you don't want to admit that if you're busy and you're busy and you're busy and you're busy and you're doing all this stuff that maybe even in your business, you're not successful because busyness is exhausting. I don't want it to be true of myself that I spent all this energy and life on something and all I did was achieve busy. I didn't achieve success. Like a hamster on a wheel, I expended a ton of energy, but I didn't get anywhere. So what's the difference between busy and success? I'm sure you could come up with a bullet point list, but I want to zoom in today on the most important difference. The most important difference between being busy and being successful. And it's one that you have to get. You have to get because as we sit here and we imagine our life five years from now, I think I know about you that you don't want to look back on the five years uh, from, from here to now and say, well, I was busy. Uh, I got through it. Uh, is that really the thing you want to say? 1,825 days from today, do you really want to look back on all those days and go, I got through it? I don't think you do. I think you would want to call them a success by whatever definition you need to have for that. But you certainly don't want to be busy without it. So we're going to find the most important distinction between business and success in uh, a story in the Old Testament. It's about these two prophets uh, that had just a crazy access to God's power. Some of the most powerful prophets to ever live. Uh, their names are Elijah and Elisha, and I think it's really dumb that their names are that close together. <laughs> uh, so it's a little confusing, and the story has both of them in there, and I'll probably mess it up at least once, uh, but hopefully you, you understand who I'm, I mean to talk about. Uh, Elisha and Elisha. Elisha and Elisha. Yeah, it's close enough. We'll pick up the story. So, so what happens here is Elijah, he's like the prophet of Israel. He's like got his own logo. He is it. Uh, and he is coming to the end of his ministry, to the end of his life, and he is supposed to pick a successor now. And that's what this story is about. So it's 1 Kings 19.19. 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field, uh, where there were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elijah was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak over his shoulders, and then walked away. So there's so much going on in this verse. This story only has a couple of verses in it, but man, every verse is jam-packed with things that are happening that are either meaningful or a little confusing. So my first observation in this uh, verse is Elisha's dad's name <laughs> is Shaphat. And I know for some of you, you're like, you mean Shaphat? No, I like Shaphat better, so I'm gonna call him Shaphat, okay? This is, and, and I actually wanna propose to you a new Christian cuss word. I think it'd be really cool if we started calling people Shaphats and like just leave the meaning a little ambiguous, but it sounds like an insult, doesn't it? Like, can't you just imagine yelling it out your car window? Like, don't you know what a blinker is, you Shaphat? Like, I feel like they, would, they wouldn't know, but they would be like, I'm insulted by that. That really hurts my feelings. <laughs> like, I think it's a great one. It could be a new Christian thing. Let's just go for it, Shaphat. <laughs> it's the least important thing in the verse, just so you know. I believe it probably is Shaphat, but we're going with Shaphat. Uh, so one observation is that Elisha is plowing a field with uh, 11 other people, you know, 11 other teams, and then now this, this, this prophet 
because you, you almost get the impression that Elijah, Elisha doesn't even see him coming. He's just plowing, and he gets this cloak thrown over his shoulders, like looking down, and then Elijah just walks away. Now, if that happened to you in real life, like if you were just like having a conversation or working at your job and somebody just came and like threw their jacket over your shoulders and then you just walked away, you'd be like, what? Just, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? Like you'd be checking the pockets. Like what did they just do to me? I don't know what they're trying to do. Uh, but this actually uh, meant something. Uh, there was significance to this act. Elijah putting his cloak on Elisha was symbolic. The cloak was a prophet's cloak, also called a mantle. You've probably heard the phrase, passing the mantle. Well, this is what it comes from. This was the uniform of a prophet. So what just happened, this is hugely significant. Elisha was just called to become a prophet. That's what that was. He was just called to become a prophet. And the way it happened is Elijah, who is the most powerful prophet currently, you know, in true Yoda form, just throws a cloak on him and just walks up, does not say anything, doesn't have a conversation, you know, doesn't explain it. He just throws his cloak on him and just walks away. You ever watch those movies where they have like those mentors who are just like super mysterious and enigmatic. They do things and they expect their, their uh, mentees to just figure things out. Well, that's what he just did. He just threw the cloak on him and walked away. Elijah's just looking around. What just happened? So he's just called to be a prophet out of nowhere. Now, remember the setting. Elisha is plowing the field with 11 other teams. And I think that's important. I think that's significant. That means his dad, Shaphat, uh, was probably pretty well off back then. That's a lot of animals. That's a lot of workers. That's a lot of field. So he's got a lot going on. So I think it's safe to assume that Elisha... Um, his, his dad is doing well, that they are building an agricultural empire here, that they've got a lot of, lot of people, a lot of resources, uh, and that this is a big thing that Elisha is a part of, and I think it's probably safe to assume that he's going to inherit this in some way, right? That he's a part of this machine, that, that, that someday he is going to be a leader in this empire, and he is currently working towards that, right? He's plowing, he's working hard, he's sweating, he's in the sun, he's, he's doing this thing. He's a part of this machine. He's, he's giving his life to build this thing. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, it's almost like God comes up and taps him on the shoulder and whispers, hey, I've got more for you than this. I've got something deeper. I've got something eternal. So he's busy building his life and God comes along and says, hey, I created you for more than this. What a moment. So I think this shows us the big distinction, the big distinction between busy and successful. And I think Thomas Merton says it best, so I'll just let him do it. He says this, People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. So busyness is climbing. That's climbing the ladder, right? Climb, climb, climb. I'm, I'm higher and higher and higher. The reason it's deceptive is because getting higher feels like success. But, but Thomas Merton here is like, hold up, hold up though. Climbing itself is not success. You better make sure that whatever ladder you are climbing is leaned against the right wall. 
at the very least, the right building, right? That would be success. Is you stopping and evaluating what am I spending my life on? What am I climbing here? What am I, what am I doing here? What is the ladder leaning against? And I would even push it further and I would say that succeeding at things that don't matter is actually the biggest failure. Because if you climb a ladder and you get all the way to the top and you realize that it was leaned against the wall that you didn't want to find out what was at the top of it. That's wasted energy. It's wasted time. It's wasted life. I would rather you fail at things that matter than succeed at things that don't. Wouldn't you say that? You know, if you're talking about, if we use the ladder illustration, wouldn't it be better to get part way up a ladder leaned against the right wall than all the way up a ladder leaned against the wrong one? And that's the difference. So imagine this for Elisha. He's living his life. He's climbing, I would say doing pretty well. Or at least he stands to do well. His dad's doing well. He's, he's going to benefit from that. He's climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. But God nudges him. And this is it. This is his call. This is God trying to get his attention. God saying, hey, I've got more for you than this. Hey, even though you're getting pretty high on that ladder, I want to change the wall. Climb down. God's giving him a mission, a purpose. So what I want for you, if you imagine your life five years from now, I don't want you to spend the next five years climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and then get to the end of the five years, look up and go, oh, wrong wall. I just spent all that energy, all that time, all that life climbing to the wrong wall. I think that's the worst thing that you could have happen to you because it would feel like a waste. <laughs> I was thinking about this week and I was actually like, man, I wonder if this is the cause of a lot of midlife crises, you know? People climbing and climbing and climbing, actually fairly successful, and then they just happen to look up and go, oh, this is the wrong wall. I got a shift here. So I believe, maybe this is a big statement, I believe that you have a call on your life. I believe that. I believe that God created you for a purpose. For real. One of the things we say here all the time is if you're not dead, God's not done. So you're breathing. That means you have some kind of purpose, that God has a plan for you, a purpose for you, a mission, uh, a destiny, so to speak, to fulfill. And I think and I don't know, we, like, we, we have such romantic ideas about this idea of being called to something. Like you expect it to be like, you know, a little light shines from heaven and birds start flying, you know, or, or somebody walks up and throws a cloak over your shoulders. Like it's going to be some, some super obvious thing. Um, but I think God works in subtle ways. Matter of fact, you can even use this story because, yeah, the cloak was a big deal. But notice that Elijah threw it on his shoulders and then just walked away. He didn't like have a conversation with him. He didn't say, hey, man, listen, this is really important. I know you got a good thing going, but this is it. This is what God wants for you. He didn't do any of that. He just put the cloak on his shoulders and walked away. So what I want you to see is a lot of times the call in your life, it's, it's more like an invitation. One that you can say yes to or no to. 
it's kind of up to you if it means anything, right? Because Elisha could have went and kept going. It's what you do with this invitation that will make it mean something or nothing. So what if God right now, what if God is using this one of 50 church services this year, what if he's using this one to invite you to a life of purpose? He's not going to demand it. He's not going to spend a whole bunch of time convincing you. I think it will just be an invitation, a little nudge in your spirit. Do you want to pursue it? Because the huge thing that was just said is that, hey, Elisha, <laughs> what you're doing is not actually the thing I created you to do. That I have something bigger, something deeper, even though you're successful here, I created you for something else. And that is an invitation I don't want to say no to. So if that's happening, I want to show you what it would take to pursue it. Uh, here's what happens in the next verse, verse 20. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I'll go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So I, I, lo I love all the stuff that's going on here. So he gets this cloak thrown over his shoulders. And before he can even process what's happened, Elijah's walking away. So he's like, what is this? And he's like looking up, like what just happened? He realizes that's Elijah, like the prophet. This is a mantle. I just got called to be a prophet. So he, he has this panicked feeling that his calling is walking away from him. So he chases him down. Hold up, hold up. He didn't want his calling to walk away from him. He didn't want his purpose to leave. So he chases him down. Now, their little conversation is really significant. I do want to tell you uh, the end, this little, this little part at the end. I really like, so we use the translation called the NLT, New Living Translation. It's a good translation, by and large. But they messed this up. I don't know why they did it. Um, if you read this in another translation, instead of saying, go on back, but think about what I have done to you, uh, other translations say, go back, what have I done to you? And I actually like that better because it fits more of the Yoda kind of a thing like this, this mysterious mentor where he runs up like, hey, hold up, let me go say bye to my mom and dad. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, like, like it didn't, like he's just like really putting, it's one of those things where it's kind of a test. Like how serious are you going to be about this? How serious are you going to be in pursuing this? What did I do to you? And it just keeps going. What will you do with this call? What will you do with this invitation? Hey, Elisha, if you want to go back to plowing, go ahead. If you want to stay son of Shaphat and you want, to, you want to stay building that empire, go ahead. It's an invitation. You don't have to take it. So, the way it's framed, Elijah's going to have to do, uh, Elisha is going to have to do a couple of things here. I would say two requirements for pursuing a God-given calling um, that will apply to him and will apply to you. They're both vital. Um, but before I give you those, I want to <laughs> do something kind of wild. Um, one of the things that always comes up whenever I preach about purpose is everybody's like, well, I don't, I don't know my purpose. 
Um, I don't know why you say it like that. You're always whiny. That's in my head. It's because I have kids. I hear everything is whiny. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you your purpose. So go, we're going to go around there. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be cool if I could just do that? Just call it out. Just be like, this is it. This is why God created you. I wish I had like that superpower. That would be awesome. I can't do it specifically, but I think I can do it in general because I think there is a, a general call, a general purpose. Now you're going to have to figure out details, but I can tell you why God created you. Your purpose, two pieces. Your purpose, number one, is to have a deepening relationship with your creator. A deepening relationship with your creator. And then number two, to serve others. That's it. That is why God created you, to have a deep relationship with him and to serve others. Now, depending on how you're wired and, and your past and, and your circumstances, there's a million variables that go into how that plays out in your life. But I know that that is why God created you, to have a deep, deep relationship with him and to serve others. That's it. That is where it's at. That is leaning the ladder against the right wall. Deep relationship with God, serve others. And I, I don't even want to. I, I don't even want to say God, because God. It almost like we just we just like our brains shut off. I'd rather say Creator. Isn't it important to you to like know the one who created you? Shouldn't it be like that? That should be a magnetic draw from your soul to 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 the one who created you. And that's why, you know, we in church, we say stuff like, hey, you should be reading your Bible and you should be praying. Because if you really believe that the Bible is inspired by your creator, that he actually had something to do with what's in it, that, that you would want to read it because this is him talking to you in some way, you would be drawn to that. You'd want to be all about that. And then prayer, my gosh, you would, you would want to be drawn to prayer because you're realizing that this this being that breathes stars out wants to hear from you? Like, that's nuts. You just admit, like, next time you walk by an ant hill, just look at the ants and the distance between you and the ants and then imagine like a billion times higher than that, God looking at you. Do you want to hear how the ants are doing? No, you don't. You don't care. You're going to get a magnifying glass out if you're a kid or you're just going to step on them if you're an adult. If they're in your house, you're trying to kill them. But that's, the distance is so crazy that, it, that this, this all-powerful God like wants to hear from you. That is a part of like why you exist is to have a relationship with that creator. So you should be spending time and energy in life deepening that relationship with him. This is not some side thing. This is it. And then serving others. Your life is meant to leave an impact on other people. It is. You're supposed to leave a mark on this earth. So I want to say if, if you spend the next five years, the next 50 years of your life growing in your relationship with your creator and serving others, it will not be a wasted life. That is leaning the ladder against the right wall. You do that and you do only that. And you've succeeded. You've succeeded. Now, I hope you're drawn to those things. I hope you're drawn to those things. But in order to pursue a God-given calling, two things have to happen. So let's look at verse 20 again. I want to zoom in on this part where he says that he wants to say goodbye to his father and mother. Now, for us, that's like, whatever. You know, you see him, you say goodbye, you see him again. 
goodbye for now, you know, I'll call you tomorrow kind of a thing. But this, this is bigger than that. This is deeper than that. When he says he's going to go say goodbye to his father and mother, this is, I want to say, identity level, this statement. This is identity level. Because he is, he is saying, I'm going to give up being a son of Shaphat. I'm going to give up this whole life over here, and I'm going to pursue this one that God's calling me to. I'm not going to be this person anymore. Now I'm going to be this person. That this, this prophet thing, that's going to be who I am. Who I am. He was thinking the moment before that could put on his shoulders, I'm a farmer, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rancher, I'm an entrepreneur, that's who I am. But the moment that got put on his shoulders, it was a shift, it was a call out of that into something else. God saying, that's not who you are. That's not who I created you to be. So here's what I want you to know. If you wanna fulfill your God-given purpose, you're gonna to have to accept your God-given identity. You have to accept that. You can't pursue the purpose if you don't accept the identity. You can't, you can't live in that and get fulfillment from living out that purpose, that God-given purpose, if you don't accept a God-given identity. And we see it all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible, God just plucks people up and puts them into a different place. He tells them, nope, that's not who you are. This is who you are. God does this constantly. And I want to tell you how this works. Because if you sat down, this is such a thing right now, your identity. This is massively important. And I don't want to argue with you over who you are. I don't know you well enough to argue with you about that. What I do want to argue with you about is where you get it. That we can have a conversation about. So where does identity come from? I think this is something that our world is so caught up in right now. So, I want to say, confused on right now. And there's two, two places that are wrong and one that's right. I'll probably oversimplify it here. So I'm going to say it and then I'll explain it. So first of all, your identity is not discovered. Not. And it's not achieved. Your identity is given to you by God. It's given to you. That's the way it's supposed to work. You don't discover it. You don't achieve it. You receive this identity. So here's what I mean when I say don't, it's not discovered. Because um, there is an element of discovery to it. You're discovering this thing that God gave you. But um, the way our, our, our world talks about finding out who you are, it's, it's almost always this like big internal journey. Like you got to look inside yourself. Like you're going to go spelunking in your own soul. You know, you're going to like find stuff down in there. And like you'll find some glowing egg, some corner of your soul and be like, oh, this is it. This is who I am. Like you have to look inside. It's this journey in. And they always talk about your heart, right? You got to follow your heart, their heart. And I, we were just watching, uh, me, and the, uh, me and Lisa and our younger two, we watched Sandlot last night, which is an awesome movie, by the way. But I realized something last night, right before I was preaching this, that uh, Babe, when he comes back, the weird part where he's dead, but he comes back in the dream, he tells Benny to follow your heart, kid, follow your heart. And I was like, that's where this comes from. It's freaking Sandlot that's ruined our whole culture. Um, let me explain why that's a terrible idea. Think back. 
to like some of your deepest pains that you have in your life. Some of the biggest mistakes you've made in your life. Here's my guess. Your heart led you to those things. Didn't your heart say to date that boy? Didn't it? Didn't your heart say this is a great idea? Didn't your heart tell you he really does love you? Didn't it? Wasn't your heart lying? Did your heart tell you to start that business or do that thing or take that risk? Wasn't your heart the one that lied to you and told you all these things that actually ended up being very painful for you? Hasn't your heart deceived you a lot in your life? Your heart's led you to things that have been incredibly painful. You know what the Bible says about your heart? The Bible says that your heart is deceitfully wicked, deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? So first, let's deal with the, the end part of that verse. Who can know it? The Bible actually suggests that you don't know your heart as well as you think you do. So even if you're trying to do all this introspection, you're not gonna find everything out because your heart's really complex and deep and you're actually, you're probably not gonna find out all the stuff in there. But even if you do, that first part, it's deceitfully wicked. Your heart lies to you. Your, heart, your heart's lied to you about simple things. You should do that. This is a great idea. This feels right. Pursue it. And then it ends up hurting horribly. Again, I would guess some of the deepest pains you have in your life are because you followed your heart. So if that's true, why in the world would you allow your heart to tell you who you are? I would bet at best it's lying to you. At worst, you're wrong. I don't believe that you should follow your heart as the source of your identity. I don't think you should do that. Unless you really want to get hurt. And then secondly, identity is not achieved. You don't, you don't, earn your identity. And the way this plays out a lot of times is, is like, we think that what we do somehow tells us something about who we are. So for example, uh, you hear the sentence, I am a smart kid. That's an identity level statement right there. I am smart because I get good grades. So you're looking at this thing that you're doing and you're allowing the thing that you do to tell you who you are. Or I am an athlete identity level. I'm an athlete. Because I run fast, jump high, and can throw a ball. You're, uh, something you do now, you're allowing that to tell you who you are. Or worst of all, most insidious of all, I am a Christian <laughs> because I do good things. And I am a good person. That's not the way it works. It is upside down for you to try and find who you are based off of what you do. You're supposed to flip that. You're supposed to do according to who you are. You're supposed to allow who you are to inform what you do. Don't allow what you do to inform who you are. That makes no sense. The source of your identity is not found in who you are. Specifically, with that Christianity one, man, you need to know that. If you being a Christian does not have really anything to do with what you do, it's what Jesus did it's Jesus who did the thing. He died on the cross in your place for your sins. It's your faith in that that makes you a Christian. It's not a good person. No, actually being a Christian means you acknowledge that you're not a good person. And you, that's the reason you need Jesus. Your identity is not something you find in yourself. It's not something you achieve in your life. Your identity is 
received. It's given to you by the creator God of the universe. Now, let's just put that to the test logically for a moment. I've already torn apart this heart thing because I think your heart's lied to you. I think it makes no sense, obviously, to try and find your identity based off of things you do. But let me ask you this. Doesn't it make sense if you believe in a God who is all-powerful, if you believe that that God created you, like literally, you know, the Bible says, knit you together in your mother's womb, wrote your DNA, knows you past, present, and future, knows everything about you. Wouldn't it make sense if you believe all that to say, I want him to tell me who I am. I want, I want the creator God of the universe to be the one who, who bestows an identity upon me. Doesn't that just make more sense than the other places that we're looking for it? God gives you an identity. And if you're a Christian, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. I believe this is what our whole world longs for, this longing to be a new person. And we're finding all these different ways to try and achieve it, but this is what they really want and they don't know it. That if you belong to Jesus, you're a new person. You're new. The old life is gone and the new has become. So you are, listen to me, you are who God says you are. You're not who the world says you are. You're not even who your heart tells you you are. You're not that thing that happened to you. You're not that mistake you made. You're not that choice you made. You're not that season you're in. That's not who you are. You are who God says you are. See, some of you have this crazy thought. You have this crazy thought, and the thought is, um, God can't use me because, like, I got divorced. Or God can't use me because I made this decision at one point. Or God can't use me because I had this really bad season in my life. Like, you think that, that something you've done disqualifies you from God using you at all. And it's, like, become a part of you. You've allowed that to, like, you feel like your whole life is like this, I can't have the thing that God really wanted for me, so now I have to settle for some other thing, and I can't possibly dream or hope that God's going to do big things with me because I made all these choices, and here I am now. <sighs> Who told you that? Where'd you get that from? No, for real. Don't say the Bible. Can I tell you what the Bible, the stories in the Bible? Have you seen the people God uses? Have you? I mean, I'll just give you some big names. We don't even have to go obscure for this. You heard of Moses, right? You know Moses murdered a dude, right? And couldn't talk good? <laughs> and God chose him and said, you're going to lead my people out of slavery, out of the most powerful nation on the planet. You, come on, you're going to do that. Me, the guy who murdered somebody? Yeah, I can't even talk good? Yeah, you, come on, let's do this. Like, that's crazy. Why would God pick him? I wouldn't pick him. Matter of fact, I just got to be honest with you. Moses probably wouldn't make it on the staff at Mosaic. <laughs> like, he wouldn't pass a background check. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, eh, man, you need to work in your communication. Like, I, we wouldn't make it. Look at David. You know, you, David's, David's sins are so well documented. The dude slept with another guy's wife, had the guy killed. Might not be the worst thing that he did. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever read this. Before he became king, he was in this kind of like quasi 
warlord season. Like he was, he was, he was a double crossing, but then triple, like he was a double agent, triple agent. I don't know what was going on. Like he was in weird places constantly. And God picks him and says, you are going to be the king over my people. Just picks him. And some of you, you're cool with that because that's all about past stuff. But can I t- tell you one that's more of like a present tense thing? How about Peter? Peter committed assault and battery while Jesus was present, right? I don't know if you remember that story, but Peter's cutting people's body parts off and Jesus is like right there. He's right there. And Jesus looks at him and is like, you are gonna lead my church. Who told you that because you have a past, because you've made mistakes or even are currently making mistakes, that that means God can't use you. God loves to use screw-ups. He loves to use screw-ups. It's great news for you. Passive aggressive insult there, sorry. So here's your identity, Christian. You are loved, you are forgiven, you are chosen. You are loved by the creator of the universe. The most important being loves you and you're forgiven. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, your slate is clean, it's clean, it's clean. Whatever you did, that thing that makes you feel guilty or dirty or whatever, it's clean. He cleaned it. He, he took it upon himself. It is white as snow. It is far as the east is from the west to you. You are clean. And you are chosen. How crazy is that? The, the creator God of the universe looked down on the earth and he looked at you. And he said, I want that one. I want that one. Give me that one. Give me that one. I want to use them to build my kingdom on this earth. How, how crazy is that? This is an identity level shift to accept this thing from God. What he says about you is true. You are loved by him, you are forgiven by him, and you are chosen by him. You need that if you want to pursue a God-given calling, a God-given purpose. Now look what Elisha does next, verse 21. So Elisha returned to his oxen slaughtered them and used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople. They all ate, and then he went to be with Elijah as his assistant. So he burns the plow. He kills the oxen. If, If Elijah wanted to know, like, how in are you on this calling? Elisha is like, let me show you. (laughs) I'm going to destroy this plow. I'm going to kill this oxen. I'm going to give the meat away, and I'm coming. I'm not going back to that life. I'm not going back. I'm accepting this new thing about me. I'm, I'm accepting this new thing that, that says I am different. I'm accepting this new thing that says I'm going to do different things. I ain't going back. Now, the word I would say, so the first thing you need is, an, is a new identity to pursue a God-given calling. The second thing, I'll just use this word commitment. You do need, a, a, there's a commitment to this. Oh, you want to pursue a God-given calling? Okay. It's going to take something. It's going to cost something. It will. Now, when you read this, it's always tempting to do this thing like, <laughs> okay, so he burned the plows and he killed the oxen and he just left. So does that mean I need to quit my job? You know, if I want to really pursue a guy, and then I also have to send a mean email to my boss, you know, to burn the bridge, I'll call him a chap hat and we'll be like, we'll have to, I'll have to move on, you know, because that's the word you'd use. You got to burn the bridge, burn the plows, burn the boats, and I got I to gotta move on. And I get that as like an instinct, like that's the grand gesture here. But what if pursuing your calling is not like that? What if it's, 
What if it's less about some like major life decision and more a mentality with, with every room that you walk into? What if burning the plow is more about your commitment to being who God's called you to be and doing what God's called you to do no matter where you are? Like what if, what if you really got this? I'm gonna keep blasting this verse into your brains because I hope it sticks. Ephesians 2.9, look at what it says about you, Christian. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Calls you a masterpiece. Let that sink in for a minute. And then it says he's created you anew in Christ Jesus. And the last part's the part that should blow you away so that you can do the good things he planned for us long ago. As in before the foundations of the earth, before he even created anything, he thought about you and he thought about what he wanted you to be and what he wanted you to do. That's crazy. You got that? You, you have that on you. God thought about you before the foundations of the earth. He thought about you before he created one blade of grass, before he created one mountain, one star. He thought about you and he had a plan and a purpose and a mission for you. So can I tell you something a little crazy for you to hear from a pastor? Some of y'all are, you're too humble. That's weird. But what I mean is you think too little of yourself. You think too little. You don't act like this is true. You have a God, that, that's a destiny verse there, isn't it? You have a death, God, God thought about you before he created anything. That's a destiny thing. You have a destiny. God has a purpose for you. Like every room you walk in, you should be head up. Why did you want me here, God? What do you want me to do? Don't be an idiot about it, but you should know that every single room you walk into, God wants to do something with you. He wants to. And for me, a lot of the, obviously being a pastor affords me a lot of opportunities like that, but some of the, my best ones aren't in my capacity as a pastor. I was just at my oldest son's basketball game the other day, and there was this kid on the other team who was acting like um, he needed Jesus a lot. And he was, it's the weird part about these, so there's a seventh grade thing. There's no noise in the gym at all, so you can hear every single thing these kids say. And they're in seventh and eighth grade, and they're horrible. So they're like cussing at each other and all this horrible stuff. And I'm listening, and this one kid just keeps it up, keeps it up. And I do this thing where I, like, I kind of want to fight that kid, but I really wanted to fight his parents. So I'm like looking up in this crowd, and Lisa keeps having to smack me, like stop doing that, because um, I wanted to go fight somebody. Um, so one of our kids and, and this kid got like tangled up, and they fell down. And this kid like kind of kicked him a little bit and like starts cussing him out, like try, trying to fight him. And the kid on our team, he's just this gentle giant. He like just didn't, he just kind of backed away. Um, and again, I'm like wanting to fight for him. Um, and like after the game, I saw him walk up to his parents and I was like, oh, that's it. That's why you want me in this room. So I walked up and I was like, hey, I grabbed his hand. I look him in the eye, which is weird for seventh grade boys. They don't do eye contact very well. And I was like trying to find it. Hey, good job today, good hustle. Don't you dare feel bad about that, man. And then I said, hey, by the way, this isn't even about basketball. This is about character and the fact that you walked away from that instead of trying to fight, that was awesome. And that's, that's what it's about. And I hit him on the chest because the seventh grade boys, they need like physical, you have to beat it into them. That's what you have to do. And his mom lit up and I walked away and I was like, that was it. That's why you had me here. I just, I just know I have to have my radar up for that. Crazy, you wanna hear something even crazier? I told that story last service. You know who walked up to me? I kid you not. His mom walked up to me in the lobby. She was here for the first time this week. I kid you not. And I was like, oh shoot, okay, Lord. 
That's even bigger than that because I thought it was just like cool that it happened. And she walks up, tears in her eyes like, that was my son. <laughs> All right, Lord. See, I got to say yes in every room I'm in because I think this one's really important. I don't know if you know this. I like doing this. But man, every room I walk into, God wants to do something. Every room you walk into, God wants to do something. Every room you walk into could be eternity changing for somebody. You think too little of yourself. It's my favorite quote from all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe when it was cool. Now it's lame, but it's, it was cool. Um, it's a quote from Loki. If you remember Loki, he said this line, I am Loki of Asgard and I am burdened with glorious purpose. Man, what if you had that? What if you had that? I mean, that's what this whole story's about, right? He gets this, this, this cloak put on him, his mantle put on him, and I feel like it was physically not heavy, but it, it weighed something. There was something to what he was just called to. What if every room you walked into, you had that, that mentality? I'm burdened with glorious purpose. Why does God have me here? Whew. You'd be a force. I think that's what God wants for you. Stop believing small things. God has a big purpose. He wants to, to play out with you. Pray with me. Lord, I pray for the person right now who has not accepted their God-given identity because they're caught up in something from their past. I pray that you would free them from that, that your love would overwhelm that past that they would see, all oh, that they would see. Lord, I pray for the person who, uh, they don't feel that glorious purpose. They don't, they don't feel that, that they were, they're loved, they're forgiven, that they're chosen. Lord, I pray that you would, you would fill them up with that right now. Lord, I pray for the person who struggles when they walk into a room and a lot of other things happen inside their mind and it's not, how, are, how does God want to use me? Lord, I pray that you would, you would quiet all that other stuff and draw them into your purpose. Draw them in to your mission. Draw them into that destiny that you have for them. Lord, I pray that the weight of the idea that you thought about them before you even created the world pray that that would rest upon them. They would really feel that you have a reason for them to exist. And they would spend the rest of their lives trying to find it out. Lord, I pray for a church full of people who feel a God-given purpose when they walk into a room and that we would push back darkness and build your kingdom on this earth no matter where we are. Jesus' name I pray. Amen.